You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katzman, he is here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. We have Congressman Peter King and David Patterson, former governor, to talk about the Democratic and the Republican point of view in New York. Steve Cates about looking up in the sky. Mike Stoller on a real estate report. Maxine Montanello on... Well, we have some, uh, she saved a lot of turtles on Long Island from the freezing cold. Dick Morris, one smart guy. Zach Williams, Commissioner Sewell uh, from the NYPD. There are changes. And to start off, calling in from the Ukraine live, we have Governor Pataki. Well, you're right, John. We're in Ukraine. It's... uh... And the weather's terrible. It's not yet winter, but it's cold and dreary and pretty miserable. And uh, we're we're taking in humanitarian relief. Uh, this is the fifth trip the Pataki Center is making into Ukraine since since the war. Uh, and this time we have 15 industrial-sized heaters, and these are massive heaters that can heat a number of apartment houses, and as many as a hundred thousand people could get heated from what we're doing. And uh, it's what uh, the Prime Minister Zelensky's wife asked of me when I saw her uh, a, couple, a month or two ago. And we're just doing our best to try to help the people of Ukraine get through a very cold and miserable winter. And uh, these heaters, what, what do they run by? They uh, propane, uh, gasoline, what do they run by? They're, they're, they're diesel. They're very efficient. They're diesel and the diesel... Uh, it, it, they can get in Ukraine. They're, they don't have the electricity. The electric grid is on and off. But uh, but the the diesel they have, so they should be able to use these throughout this winter and hopefully a couple more. You know, there's just uh, the Russians are targeting the electric grid, the the heating systems. Uh, uh, okay, John, I, I have to put the phone down. I'm sorry. Okay, we're with the we're with some. Some soldiers here. Hold on two minutes. Okay. They're just they're just making him do the they're yelling at him at the border crossing for being on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Here he's back. Okay. Sorry, John. You know, it's just uh, not a problem. Just not a normal situation. Off. We're in a country that's at war. So, so uh, tell us, uh, uh, how, how big uh, how big of an area is uh, is one of these units cover? Uh, to keep people uh, uh, warm? I'll tell you, they're, they're really big units. They have four big uh, outlets for the heat and, you know, massive ducts. And they can heat, heat – one unit can heat four big apartment houses. Uh, they're, really, they're really great units, and we have 15 of them. And, you know, this is the first step, John. You know, there, there's millions of people who are going to need help with the heat over the winter. And we have another 200 heaters, smaller heaters, and another diesel uh, generators coming in in the next month or so. So we're going to continue to try to do what we can to help the Ukrainian people get through this, this terrible winter. That, that, that is wonderful. And do you have any other people? Uh, are you traveling with a, a bunch of people? Yes. You know, volunteers from the Pataki Center. You know Rob Cole and some of the others. We have uh, uh, a couple of Ukrainian translators with us and we have some retired uh 
Delta Force security guys taking us. So it's a, it, it was a, it's a pretty complicated logistic thing. And, John, I just got to tell you one other thing. We've done the heaters. We're doing the generators. We also uh, we also are working with the NFL. And we had a little uh, fun time this afternoon. We went to a soccer stadium where we were with the, the president of the Ukrainian-American Football Hockey League. And and it's amazing the the young Ukrainians who love American football, and we were with uh, uh, the head of the organization and some of the players, and they were all soldiers. Uh, and in fact, the the president of the league just came off the front line two or three weeks ago, and one of the players with us, brother, had been killed a month ago, and it was very emotional. The NFL is helping us with this footballs for freedom. Uh, we got uh, we took them 800 footballs and equipment and everything else and uh, and they were just so excited to see this tie between cultural tie between America and Ukraine and you know when we were crossing the border the second time the Ukrainian guard opened the back and saw the footballs and he goes Americana uh, and we go yes and he goes uh, NFL players and we go yes uh, and he goes. Uh, uh, many people help us and had a big smile. And that's part of what we want to show is that uh, the American people care, and we're going to do what we can to help the Ukrainian people. Well, Governor Pataki, thank you for what you and your team is doing, uh, the people from the Pataki Center. And uh, God bless you. Stay safe, and uh, we'll see you when you get back to America. Great. Thank you, John. Take care. Take care. With us today is former Congressman Peter King, and uh, get an update from the Republican point of view. What the heck is going on in New York City, New York State, Long Island, and what's going on in Washington? Uh, Congressman King, you're one common sense guy. It's three weeks, 21 days till Christmas. Which say you? Where are we? Uh, we're probably not much different than we were a month ago. Uh, you know, inflation is so up, there's still issues with crime and everything. Let me go to Washington first with Hakeem Jeffries. I know, you know, a lot of Republicans are complaining about him. I'm saying he's probably the best we could get from a Democrat. Uh, Hakeem, I've worked with him on a number of issues. Uh, he's obviously he's a strong Democrat. But on the other hand, he's uh, very practical when it comes to trying to find, as you would say, common sense solutions on non-political issues. Like he and I worked to get more money for the MTA during COVID, worked across party lines. So he has no... Partisan hang up that way at all, and uh, also I know you know the progressive wing of the Democratic Party uh, was very critical critical of him over the last few years. So hey, there's any number of things we're going to disagree on, but I would say that he's probably the best choice that we in New York could have had, and as Republican, probably the best one you know we could work with on the uh, Democratic side. As far as New York, I think Mayor Adams, if they can implement uh, this whole idea of taking uh, dangerous mental health, uh, you know, mental uh, mentally ill people off the streets is a really you know, great step forward. Now, how the police implement that, how they decide who is uh, dangerous, uh, you know, they're not psychiatrists, they're not psychologists, and there's always the danger of false arrest lawsuits and everything else. But to me, it's a real step in the right direction. I just hope they have it worked out so that uh, they'll be able to implement it without any you know, complications or delays or anything like that. So I give them credit for that. And again, it's a step in the right direction. As far as the Republicans in Washington, uh, it looks like they're having a hard time you know, selecting the speaker. And Kevin McCarthy is o the overwhelming choice. 
but you have to get 218 votes on the House floor, and Republicans only have, it looks like, 221 or 222 seats. So even five people holding back their votes could tie this up forever. So hopefully they can get it resolved. Otherwise, we're going to you know, look like the gang can't shoot straight, and the Democrats have their leader, and we'll be uh, stuck without a speaker. So, uh, again, hopefully they can get it worked out. You can't let five people or six people blackmail the entire party. So that, that, that's my summary, John, of uh, Brooklyn, Manhattan, New York, and uh, Washington. What else? we got only three weeks to Christmas, then we four yeah. weeks in the new year. I mean, are, are, are you, do you feel the optimism that in the new year maybe the Democrats and Republicans will be more civil to each other? I, I, I would hope so. That's why I wish the Republicans would get a speaker, you know, elected speaker, so he can start negotiating with Hakeem Jeffries and Joe Biden to see if there is a way forward. I was disappointed when uh, Kathy Hochul vetoed a bill, which was to set up a survey or a uh, commission on fentanyl. And uh, again, I don't know why she uh, vetoed it. I know it was passed unanimously in the Assembly and in the Senate. So it was a totally bipartisan bill, and she vetoed it. And uh, she may be claiming some budgetary reasons, but for someone who spent you know, millions and billions, I'd certainly be worried about you know, the cost of setting up a commission doesn't really uh, sound, sound true. So that, you know, that's a disappointment. But, hey, listen, you know, we're going into Christmas, maybe the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of the new year will provide some opportunity as we you know, start off the new year because we have so many issues that really shouldn't be on a partisan basis. We have enough issues that are partisan, and they should be. But as far as others, uh, you know, let's go forward, especially on crime. I mean, if, uh, if Eric Adams pursues this, I think we as Republicans should support him. Uh, and support what he's doing. If not, we can be, you know, criticize it then. But right now, I think we should stand with him on it, and hopefully, they can find a way to implement it without a million lawsuits coming in, claiming that how does a cop know if somebody is mentally dangerous or not? You know, how does a judge know that that whole thing? They can tie this up and not. So hopefully, we can go forward on that. Well, I support Eric Adams, especially in the mentally ill thing. I don't think the mentally ill people are capable of deciding for themselves sometimes. And they are, again, you know, committing crimes. They're dangerous. They make a very, uh, uh, again, it's a, it's a terrible attitude they, you know, they provide, an atmosphere they provide. And apart from that, you know, they're throwing people on the tracks. They're uh, carrying out violent crimes. So, no, we have to find a way to work with him to make sure it gets done. Yes, violent, we, me and you have talked about it, violent criminals, mentally ill. And uh, I don't know where we stand, what category uh, the uh, the veterans that are living on the streets of New York are are at. I mean, are they in the mentally ill category? Uh, some may be. You know, it could be PTSD. It could be a form of mental illness. And but to me, they should get top priority. And, and you know, any veteran who's homeless or in that situation, absolutely. I know uh, we've had several programs in Nassau County which seem to be working. Uh, and uh, and a Fred Wilpon who used to own the Mets, he was very active in that. So hopefully we can make you know make progress that way and get it done. So, uh, uh, but it's uh, you know they certainly deserve you know first priority. And uh, you know years ago, John, when you and I were younger, people didn't even realize that the veterans had any kind of mental or emotional problem. And we had a, a guy in my neighborhood when I was growing up. He used to walk around in the summer with a hat, and overcoat on, a scarf, and everything. And people said, "Oh, poor guy got screwed up in the war." And that was it. Nobody ever said you know try to help him. He just sort of wandered the streets. Fortunately, had a place to. To go at night, but I mean, so now we're you know much more aware of it, and we should do all, all we can to you know take care of those veterans. 
And I understand uh, the suicide rate is still very high in the uh, yep. uh, in the veterans, uh, and that's very very sad. Yeah. Well, again, we've been making progress on it. I mean, I know when I was in Congress uh, over the years, more and more money was appropriated for mentally ill veterans, PTSD, uh, and uh, homeless veterans. You know, all, all of those issues. Also, trying to find jobs for returning veterans, make sure they're placed properly. So it's. Uh, no, that's an obligation we have to them. I mean, it's hard to uh, imagine, you know, what they, you know, what those uh, men and women have seen in combat, and you know the impact that it can have on them in, you know, in later years. So, uh, no, that that deserves absolute top priority, and that's certainly to be a nonpartisan issue. Well, Congressman Peter King, thank you for everything you've done for uh, America. Twenty-eight years in the Congress, and you continue to speak out for America. We'll catch up with you again real soon. Hey, John, thank you. You're listening to a show that isn't about finding Republican or Democratic ideas. It's just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable. It's Sunday today, three weeks before Christmas. Where are we going? Where's our city going? Where's our state going? With us today is former governor of the state of New York, David Patterson. Uh, governor Patterson, uh, we're coming up on 2023. It's three weeks to Christmas, four weeks of the new year. Give us a report of where do you think we are? Well, I think uh, we have a very interesting phenomenon that occurred in the city this week when Mayor Eric Adams announced that he would uh, urge and would support uh, involuntary confinement with people deemed to have mental disease or disability. Now, this is something that used to go on in the city uh, 40 years ago when... um, what would happen is if a doctor, a psychiatrist, or even a law enforcement official thought that a person was inca- incapacitated be- because of mental, mental illness, that they would involuntarily confine them. And the way it works is the confinement would be for a few days, they'd check them again, and then after 15 days to keep them, they would need what they call a 2PC, would be two physician certificates, then you could hold the person for 60 days, and at that time you could determine whether or not it's safe for society or whether or not it's safe for the person to be back out on the streets. So some of the people who would be confined are not being confined because they're considered to be a danger as in violent crime, but they need to be confined because they suffer from some sort of depression or they might hurt themselves or they threaten to hurt themselves. So that's a, you know... Uh, very interesting, but from the crime standpoint, I think it's an excellent move by the mayor because there are more situations in this city, and I think this is why the fear factor of crime has gone up so high. There are more cases of people being attacked by people with mental illness all over the city, not in specific neighborhoods. And what we need to do is to get them the care they deserve an intervention, as Dr. Peter Michelo said the other day, an intervention of the same way you'd have a family intervention. This would be the family of the city intervening to get people the medication to either make them better or to prevent them from causing harm to others. With the fear level of crime up where it is right now, even beyond what the statistics would call for, it's coming from the feeling of a lot of people that you pass people in the street and you're just not sure how that interaction is going to end. But then you have the violent criminals that me and you have talked about 
some of those violent criminals, they've completed three, four, five, ten violent crimes. Shouldn't they be put away? Well, I guess I've sort of changed my opinion from what it was when I was younger because there are so many of these repeat offenders and these situations where, but for the fact that they were released after committing a terrible crime, they then committed another crime. I think that's when the attention has to be turned to the society that allows that and that we will have to come up with some kind of system. I know Governor Pataki had three strikes, you're out. That seemed to work for a while, but uh, it, it's not on the books anymore. We might want to take another look at that, particularly in this particular period. And unfortunately, I, I hope that the legislature in Albany will not get offended thinking that people are blaming them for doing that, but they are the only ones right now that could change it. The MTA, which you were once a member of, the, they decided they may want to raise uh, uh, fares, and it, it seems like if if they if they collected the fares that they're supposed to collect, maybe they don't have to raise them. Well, uh, because of the fact that fewer people are riding the subways, they're not collecting the revenues that they need. Uh, at the same time, uh, raising the fares is going to diminish from the number that are riding the subway now. We'll try to find other forms of transportation. So what you see is a domino, a domino effect. First, it's the crime that's scaring people. They don't ride the subways. The revenues go down. Then uh, the MTA wants to raise the fares to cover that loss, but it's only going to drive fewer people into the subways, and the domino effect continues, and it becomes chaotic. Education. We're going to have uh, uh, the Chancellor, Mr. Banks, on in the near future to tell us how New York compares to the rest of the country. But we were like number 26 in the, in the country in uh, uh, overall education we, in, in the world. And we were like uh, number like 40 or 50 in, in mathematics. I, I forget it, but it was crazy numbers. I had a conversation with... Uh... Chancellor Banks about three weeks ago, and what we were talking about was the shortage of drivers to drive the children who use school buses to school every day, and that sometimes the students are getting to the, aren't getting to school until noon. I still think that one of the biggest problems with the educational system, and I'm just going to keep saying it until somebody listens, is that we end the school day too early and Younger people, 12, 13, 14, go out, and they don't go home right away. They get themselves into all kinds of trouble. It's when all the indicators of, of uh, social problems with young people exist between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. So that old uh, bromide that we learn from uh, Channel 5, Fox, at 10 o'clock, they say, do you know where your children are? Well, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they should have some TV station announce, do you know where your children are? Because the parents are at work, and they really don't know. I, I agree with you 100% on that, too. Um, we've got a minute left. Anything else? Well, John, Christmas is uh, three, three weeks. weeks away, and you want to know where everyone's going. I guess I'm going to have to go Christmas shopping. Is there anything you want this year that I could get for you? Oh, my God. I mean, uh, I, I still can't believe it's three weeks, and uh, I guess we all have to buy... 
uh, we have to buy gifts for our wives, and we have to buy gifts for uh, for our, our daughters and 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 sons. Yeah, well, I'll I'll be addressing that immediately. I'll meet you on Monday. Take care. Take care. Thank you, Governor uh, Patterson, and thank you for your common sense and speaking out to the to our people, all Americans, not just New Yorkers. Thank you. With us today is uh, Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and he's with us every weekend to tell us what if, if we look up, what do we see? Uh, Steve Cates, uh, are you having a, a great weekend? I sure am, John, and good morning to you and the listeners across the nation here. We have so much to report. Let's begin with space. The Orion spacecraft update is right on our mind. We found out last week it moved about 270,000 miles away from the Earth. That's 40,000 miles beyond the moon that any man-capable spacecraft has ever done. What's the next part of this mission? It will go back and swing around the moon with its cameras, maybe 80 miles above the surface, and then do a burn. And later in the month of December, now that we're in December, hopefully the capsule itself will make a water landing, a safe splashdown, on or about December the 11th, off the coast of San Diego. So, John, this mission's been really good so far, and uh, we have to salute the astronauts and scientists and everybody who's behind this after a long and slow process to get it off the ground. Isn't that quite amazing? John, and hey, just to let everybody know on something here, here's the skinny on a real big event that happens on the evening of December 7th all across the nation for the most part. It'll be on the 7th of, Dece- of December. This is amazing. And here it is. The full cold moon happens that night. So when you see the moon rising on the 7th, the planet Mars, John, is closest to the Earth right now for the whole year. and It'll be just to the left edge of the moon. But for a good portion of the listening audience around the nation, the moon is going to eclipse the planet Mars right before your eyes. So if you had a binocular, you'd see it happening even in better detail. A telescope will show it. This is incredible because it hasn't happened in a long time. And, John, could this be a sign from the heavens? That's really amazing for people to see, so don't miss it on December 7th, just after sunset. Look at that beautiful moon on the left side. That's the planet Mars, and it will be covered up as we go into the early evening. Uh, Dr. Sky, thank you so much for expanding our minds, and and, uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you, John. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We're in December, and thank you to you and your staff. Thank you. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. With us today is Michael Stoller, one smart guy in in real estate. Uh, he's got his uh, ears to the ground, and and uh, we'd Michael Stoller, we'd like to get an update of uh, what's going on in the real estate industries. Uh, it looks like the the Fed chairman uh, earlier in the week blinked. And the the 30-year uh, uh, mortgage rate is down, and some other rates are down. The 10-year rates are down. Uh, we were in the middle of a, a, a situation where uh, it was going to come to an end as far as uh, new construction and new home construction. Right, but the, the biggest question is, you know, as I've said to you in the past, you, you know, we none of us have this crystal ball or the crystal apple. To, to, to project where we're going. And earlier this week, if you, if you took Monday, the rates have already dropped between 25 to 50 basis points due to what the Fed chairman is doing. And speaking to some of the lenders out there, speaking to two specifically today, it's, re- it's a rather difficult time for a banker to make a decision 
on where the pricing is because they don't know as the rates are changing constantly. So it's you know it's like playing a game of billiards. Sometimes you get lucky if you hit the ball in the right section. So with with these rates, you know maybe the rates are going to go down, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count on this over here that the rates are going going down. The market has still been going down, and I, I don't see this really taking place. Um, specifically, when when I'm speaking to bankers and, and I'm saying to them, "How are you pricing deals?" They say, "Look." We can't price the deal just because there's been a, a flux this week changing over there. So they, they're making their decision based on their intuition and how they feel what they project in the future. But very few of them have economists on staff to, to give them the right projection. Un- uh, understood. So right now we're, we're still in chaos uh, because uh, we don't know what the long term or, or if this is going to last more than a week or more than a month. And that's exactly right. You know, when, when rates went up last year, at, you, know, you know, when the SOFA went into effect or when the LIBOR stopped being in effect, you were at a rate of 50 basis points plus maybe a spread of 200 points. Today, SOFA is, is still like, like three and a half which is a substantial increase from a half a point. So how do you know what to do? Okay, uh, it's, it's a very difficult time to be a banker, and it's a very difficult time to be a borrower because borrowers always look for the lowest conceivable rate. So you're not having a matching of the two, the two ends, you know, the A and the B. I would have said, uh, Michael Stoller would have said uh, uh, to Frank Carone, the chief of staff to the mayor, uh, was the fact that uh, rates are going crazy the way we're discussing it. At the same time, uh, the state has not authorized any uh, incentives for people to spend money and build uh, build buildings, or affordable or non-affordable, in any of them. And the crime situation has not gone away yet. You know what? We're, we're, we are at a standstill, and we're in a vacuum, okay? And nobody's making any decisions to change the vacuum. It's, it's really difficult to make a decision by a lender to go into a deal today because, you know, they're, they're, they're worried that, okay, if I lock in the rate today, you know, the question is, you know, as on, you've done deals with spreads, okay, with rate locks. It's really difficult to make a rate lock, even if you're getting paid a little portion of the fee to get the, the rates locked in. If I was borrowing, if I need to borrow because I have a loan coming due, Look, I'm going to see that. Look, people, most of the dealers that banks are going to be doing for, for borrowers are going to be floating rates, so they, they hedge their risk. Okay, I know you spoke the other day that you were talking about refinancing your own. Are you hedging your risk, on, or are you having a floating rate deal? I rather, the truth is, I'd rather have a floating rate deal because me, I could afford to, to pay the difference. But other people that can't, they got a problem. That's exactly what I'm saying. The sophisticated, stronger borrower is in a much better position than the weak or the inexperienced person out there. What's going to happen if, if, the, if, you, if the loan goes bad? It, you're the guy who did the, the bad loan. So it's safer to have a flow deal for the banks also. Understood. Don't need to lock in the rate. Anything else you want to tell the American people? No, I just want to say, you know, hopefully, you know, the Fed will comply and do some things. And our governors and everybody, as you have said and I've said, 
We need the safety. We need the security. And we need a good government to, for, to come forward. We need Albany changes with the 421A so that there's housing, all types of housing. And we need this. We, we need to lock in things because people are starting to rent stores. Retail is being leased. There are things taking place. So let's just hope. And, you know, as, as you've often said, God bless America. I say that more often these days than not. Uh, Michael Stoller, thank you for an update on real estate, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Okay, take care. Take care. It's winter, and our turtles in Long Island are having problems. With us today is Maxine Montello, and she is uh, director of the rescue program of the Marine Science Division. Did I say that correctly, Maxine? Uh, Yeah, it's uh, New York Marine Rescue Center out in uh, Riverhead, New York. Now, Maxine, tell us, uh, I read about the turtles. You, you guys have saved a lot of turtles. Tell us about the turtles you're saving and why are the turtles having problems? Yeah, so we're in the midst of our cold sun um, sea turtle season, which is similar to hypothermia. So these sea turtles are reptiles, so they can't regulate their own internal temperature. And um, they're here all summer. And then, unfortunately, because we're kind of missing the cues from summer into winter, these animals are not migrating. And they're getting stuck here within uh, Long Island Sound and the bays that surround our um, little island. And they become cold and they become listless and they float at the surface. So it's actually the winds that will push them to our shoreline. Um, And that's what our team is doing right now. We're going out and rescuing these kind of debilitated turtles all winter long. Uh, Understood. Now, does this happen every year? Is it this year more or is it more so? Uh, Yeah, so it's every year. You know, we've been documenting it since... Um, you know, the early 80s. However, we have seen a huge increase um, with climate change and our water staying warmer longer. Um, we're seeing more animals strand. Uh, 2019 was our most turtles. We had 85 turtle strand. Um, this year, we're already over 30 animals and we're only in the first two weeks. So if you yep. weren't there, what would happen to these poor turtles? Uh, if we weren't able to get these turtles um, to our facility, unfortunately, I, you know, they would probably perish. Um, you know, the work that we do, we slowly warm them up over the course of five days and give them antibiotics. A lot of them have pneumonia, shell damage. So the work we do at our rehab center is so critical for these animals. Now, uh, you specialize in turtles. Or are there other people that specialize in other animals and uh, on Long Island East Coast that are having problems? Uh, yeah, you know, our facility is marine mammals and sea turtles, so that's dolphins, whales, seals, and sea turtles. Uh, but out here there's other rehab groups that are working with birds of prey and small mammals um, and aquatic turtles. So, you know, everybody's work is so critical to the animals that utilize Long Island. You know, I love animals. I love uh, uh, that you guys are helping and if WABC, who, who I'm with, can help you in any way and get the, get the message out, we're here to get the message out because uh, uh, I think you're doing God's work. Well, we really appreciate that. You know, we just encourage to all your listeners, if they find a sea turtle on the beach, to call our hotline, which is that 631-369-9829 number, and we'll help that turtle or marine mammal. Um, but, yeah, everybody can play their part. 
And, and tell us, do you have a website that people could go to and learn more about and maybe contribute some money for Christmas? Yes, yes. Uh, you can go to our website, which is just NY for New York, uh, marinerescuecenter.org. Uh, uh, we also have a Facebook and an Instagram um, where people can look up stories and see some of our past cases and also make donations. We're a small not-for-profit. Our team is uh, less than eight people, and so we really need uh, the support of our local community. Well, Maxine, I thank you so much for your doing God's work. Maxine Montello, did I say it right? Yep. And thank you, and whatever WABC can do for you, you and w, our station WLIR uh, in, uh, in uh, Long Island, and whatever we Perfect. can do, 107.1. Thank you so much. With us today is Dick Morris, uh, an advisor to uh, President Clinton, an advisor to President Trump, and uh, he's here to give us the lay of the land for our country, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, and tell us what the heck is going on. Dick Morris, give us an update. What's going on in our country? Hey, John. Well, McCarthy, the incoming House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, and Mitch McConnell, the longtime Republican leader in the Senate, are about to hand away all power to the Democrats and give Pelosi and the House Democrats the same power they would have had if they had won the election. What they're about to do is to go ahead, go along with the Democrats, in approving a budget for this coming year, 2023, which is the exact same as the one in 2022. No changes at all, just what they call a continuing resolution. Just continue the same budget we had for the last year. And the first chance the Republicans will get because of this deal to change the budget is in October of 23. That's A.D. <laughs> when the uh, current budget expires, when the fiscal year is over. So there are going to be no changes in the federal budget, in taxes and spending. They'll continue to hire 87,000 IRS agents. They'll continue all the crazy spending that is causing inflation. They'll continue to, use, to have high taxes. And nothing will change until October 1st, 2023. And the reason McCarthy and McConnell are going along with this is that the Democrats have threatened to shut down the government if they don't. And they're scared to death of that. They're just cowards. They're petrified about the concept that the country could, the government could close down and there would be a major crisis. And well, why are they terrified? Well, wouldn't, wouldn't the Democrats because, be just as guilty? Because in 1996, when I worked for Clinton, we beat them during the government shutdown. And the Democrats have never recovered. The Republicans have never recovered, and they are still frightened to death of shutting down the government. They feel they'll be blamed. They feel it'll hurt them. They feel it'll uh, hurt the Republicans in the future. And they're just wrong. It's cowardice, pure and simple. They just don't have the guts to do it. And the Democrats know that. So they're saying... We're not making any changes in the budget. We're just going to continue our old budget through the end of the 23 fiscal year. And you're saying Mc, uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, McCarthy are going to go along with it. Yeah, they are. They're totally gutless. They have no courage. And they should be standing up and saying, hell no. We won the election. 
and we will not submit to the old Democratic budget. We want a budget that the new House of Representatives passes. And, so and let 30, me ask you. In 30 uh, days, in, hang on. In 30 yeah. days, the Democrats lose control of the House. Yeah. And the Republicans should say, we're not going to vote on a budget until the 30 days are over. And then we'll have the majority in the House and we'll write the budget. And the Democrats are saying, nope, if you do that, we'll shut down the government right now. And it'll be shut down over Christmas. And they'll be you're going to be you, you, you blame you. You're going to be on at 12 noon this Sunday. And yep. uh, what are you going to be talking about? Well, this I'm going to be talking about how we just fought an election. Uh, we won the House of Representatives and now they're giving it all away. Remember how they used to say the United States never lost a war or won a peace conference because they would always give everything away to the other people. We won the war and we're giving it all away at the bargaining table. It's unbelievable. Wow. Okay. Uh, we got a, a minute left. Uh, uh, any, you know, today is Sunday, uh, Tuesday's the election in Georgia. Any prediction yet? Well, I think Walker is going to lose. I think, I think Warnock will win. And I think that it's uh, it's because they the Republicans still have not learned how to get their votes out early, how to do mail-in voting, how to do absentee voting. And the Democrats have their people trained, and they do all of that. And I think that that's the reason we lost in 20, the reason we didn't win the Senate seats in 22, and the reason he'll lose now. Dick Morris, I'll be listening to you at 12 noon on WABC Radio uh, 770 and WABCRadio.com. Thank you so much. You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers interviewed by New York's first citizen. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Zach Williams, New York Post, uh, a reporter, editor from Albany. And to tell us what the heck is going on in Albany that affects all of us in every part of the state. Zach, anything going on? Thanks for having me. We're in an in-between post-election period. We're waiting for the upcoming state budget process to get going. And right now, everyone's wondering what bills that are still outstanding Governor Hochul might sign and or veto. And then, of course, what might she propose in her budget due next month? Now, she gave a really big hint yesterday during a speech in New York City where she said that affordable housing was going to be a big push of hers in the upcoming year. And that's really no surprise considering some of the shortcomings um, on the legislative front over the past year, which included a failure to renew the 421 tax abatement program, which is really big for New York City developers. Um, but, you know, a few things, though, that I would just say your listeners might want to keep an eye on. You know, one issue is an outstanding bill called Carlo's Law that would basically increase penalties for um, people tied to construction accidents. Now, this will be interesting because it kind of, you know, pits Hochul's friends and organized labor against those in real estate. Really don't know how she's going to fall on that one. There's also another bill that would ban the sale of puppies, kittens and rabbits in pet stores across the state. Um, effective in one year. Those are uh, just a couple of the bills that she still has to, to uh, sign or veto. There's hundreds more, but I think affordable housing is going to be huge next year. And then, of course, bail reform and all the associated controversies is not going away. And we saw the governor over the past week continue efforts to try to steer the conversation away from, from bail reform 
and two illegal guns. She's been touting this multi-state super-duper task force for months that she says is seizing illegal guns coming into New York from other states. But, you know, there's still a lot of people pushing to do things on a lot of other fronts when it comes to dealing with rising crime. So that's just a few things that are going on among many more across the state. Uh, Understood. Uh, Right now, I've been talking to a lot of people in New York and the real estate industry and uh, and construction uh, in New York, whether it's homes or whether it's uh, uh, buildings or whether it's affordable housing, is at almost at a standstill because, A, because of the crime situation, B, uh, because of uh, construction rates were up to 7 or 8 percent, C, and there's no incentive to, uh, uh, from the government, uh, from the state or, or city, to build anything. Uh, any, your gut feeling, is there going to be any movement on that? Well, I think the governor is going to be pushing hard for some form of a replacement to 421A, that, that critical um, tax abatement for affordable housing that usually came down to, you know, if you build um, new market rate housing, in exchange for that, for permission to do that, then you got to have 20%, 30% or so affordable housing units in that building. The governor is probably likely to push hard on that. She's likely to push hard for the legalization of what's called accessory dwelling units. That's kind of like when, you know, the in-law cottages behind people's houses or the basement uh, apartment they might want to rent. A lot of those are currently illegal. A lot of, you know, people, um, regardless of their ideology, want to see them legalized. Um, as another way to deal with the housing crunch. And then, of course, the governor has been touting the, you know, the, <laughs> this uh, affordable housing $25 billion, 100,000 unit plan that we still haven't seen really make a dent in the housing market. But she says she's going to move the ball forward on that coming year. But I think, you know, what you're seeing and what you're hearing is what I'm seeing and hearing as well. A lot of people concerned that there's just not enough new housing being constructed in New York, especially considering the price of existing housing stock. Understood. Um, Anything else that you think New Yorkers should know going into, you know, today, December 5th, uh, uh, 20 days from Christmas, anything uh, uh, you think New Yorkers should know? Well, one thing that's really interesting is this assembly race in southern Brooklyn. Long story short, election rules require that in redistricting years like this, you got to live in the same county as the district you want to represent. But there's evidence showing that the Republican, who shockingly beat longtime Assemblyman Peter Abade at Bensonhurst, actually lives in Manhattan. Now, this could come to a head in early January because the Assembly says, that, which is, of course, as a Democratic supermajority, they have said that if, if um, Lester Chang, the Republican, won this election, does not provide residency proof, they're going to vote to boot him from the state assembly. They're not going to let him keep his seat. Now, Republicans are crying foul, saying that, you know, Democrats are trying to steal the election, while Democrats are saying they're just trying to uphold the state constitution, which requires that you live in the same county as the assembly district you represent. So we'll see how that plays out. But I think it's a really interesting situation that you're not likely to see too often in state politics even. And I understand that his mother lives in that county and his ex-wife, that died, his wife that died lives in the old county. So it's going to be an interesting situation, but I'm sure there's going to be lawsuits regardless. <laughs> it's the only time I've seen a man uh, perhaps as old as Lester brag about how he still lives with his mom. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, 
Uh, God bless you, and uh, we, we, and we need a prayer for New York because that's what we really need. Thank you so much. More the better. Thanks for having me. We have the New York City Police uh, Commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell. Welcome back to Cats at Night, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, Keyshawn, it was good to see you at lunch today. And uh, there's so many things happening at the police department and uh, New Yorkers and uh, want to know what the heck is going on. Uh, John, I have to tell you, first of all, the the FLEF is fantastic. The FLEF was a wonderful event. Uh, thank you so much. I'm glad I was invited to that. Hi, sorry I missed you to talk to you for a, a longer period of time. But, yes, a lot is going on in the city, but uh, our efforts to reduce crime are taking hold. I have to tell you, we started out at about 45% increase year over year when we began. We are now at about 26%. But... That is not happenstance. We've got laid out a plan in the beginning of the year. We executed that plan, and we are now seeing those results. We know we have much more to do. We don't take that for granted. Next week, we're actually going to be releasing our November crime numbers. We have made demonstrable progress. Uh, we're moving in the right direction. Uh, understood. Now, uh, are you, uh, you, uh, some chiefs had early retirement. Can you tell us about the people that had the early retirement and the people that uh, that have replaced them. So the members who left were dedicated public safety executives. They serve this city well, and I wish them the best in their retirement. We have a new slate that's coming in. We have a new chief of department, Jeffrey Madry. He's over 31 years of experience in the NYPD. Uh, we have new chiefs of intelligence and counterterrorism, uh, well-known in that position before as the Chief of Intelligence, Tom Galati. Across the board, we have a new Chief of Housing, Special Operations. Uh, we have a nice slate, a new Chief of Patrol as well. And who's the new Chief of Patrol? Chief John Shell. Gotcha. And uh, are there any more moves uh, being considered uh, before December 31 or January? So we, well, we have a new Chief of Internal Affairs, uh, Miguel Iglesias, a new Chief of Transit, Mike Kemper as well. So uh, as we move forward, one of the things that makes this department so extraordinary is that we remain in a state of evaluation and innovation. Uh, we formed an innovation steering committee during this year to look at what we do well and what we can do better. So we always endeavor to find the most talented people. We have to find the finest people to serve this city, and I will continue to do that. Well, we agree, and uh, we've had that conversation uh, before the the last time we talked, we discussed the three thousand repeat violent criminals, and I I, I owe you a lot of uh, 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 nickels in, uh, because I've used that statement to so many people that who deserves to be safe? Eight and a half million New Yorkers that want to walk around New York and be safe, or the three thousand violent uh, repeat violent criminals that. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense at all. Do you think we're making any progress in Albany? Well, we will always keep our focus on victims. And I have said from the beginning of the year that judges have to be able to determine whether a person is a public safety risk when they are able to determine whether to remand, set bail, or release. I will keep saying that. We know what we see every single day, and we'll keep fighting for those changes. Uh uh, we have uh, former Deputy Mayor uh, Rudy Washington in the studio with us. Rudy, you had a question? Yeah, Commissioner, uh, tell us about your plan um, on the homeless and, and addressing that issue, especially in the subways. 
So I want to make it clear that uh, the NYPD has been on board with the mayor's plan from the very beginning. We were at the table. We were talking about what we can bring to the table, what we can do with our other agencies in the city. This is not just a law enforcement focused initiative. It is a holistic approach to be able to get people the services that they need. The mayor's initiative has expanded the toolbox of the NYPD. But let's be clear, we do this already. This just gives us the opportunity to be able to go beyond what is obvious and in some cases really assist those who are in need. We're going into the colder months. We have to be able to get people help. Commissioner Sewell, um, yes. what do you have to say to people that say, you know what, they if they want to stay on the streets, they have a right. But then you have Mayor Adams who says it's not compassionate to allow these people that can't even take care of themselves, that we need to help them. I mean, I, I, that's what that's what I feel. I, I think we need to help these people to allow them to slowly decompose, slowly commit suicide. That That's not who we are as New Yorkers. I couldn't agree more. We talk about this shared responsibility for public safety. We have to treat people humanely and get them the assistance that they need. We can't just walk by them if they are in a state of distress. We have to be able to help them. Well, we agree 100%. Um, We know you're on a time schedule. Anything else you want to tell New Yorkers? I do. I have to say uh, the NYPD is out there every single day working with our residents, businesses, and communities to keep the city safe. The holiday lights are already up. The city is absolutely sparkling. Come on out. Enjoy the shopping. Enjoy what New York City has to offer. The NYPD is going to be out there. Just don't hesitate to say hello. Well, thank you, Commissioner, and thank you for everything you do for our city and and continue to fight uh, for what uh, we believe in, safe cities. And thank you, and uh, uh, have a great weekend. Thank you once again. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.